0: All right, Romans chapter 6. Start reading in verse number 3. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Father God, we're so thankful for this passage of Scripture and all the passages we'll look at this morning. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. I pray, Father, you'd fill me with your spirit. Help me now to, uh, to be what I ought to be. I pray if there's any, any unconfessed sin, anything in my life that would hinder my usefulness, I pray, Lord, that you'd just uh, forgive it and remove it. And I pray, Father, that you'd fill me with your spirit, that I might preach the word of God as you want it preached accurately, clearly, practically. Help me to say the things I ought and uh, say nothing I ought not. And I pray, Father, if this particular passage, this, for this particular message has application to anybody here in a very specific way, that they'll respond this day. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Why? It's a question that we hear often asked. As a matter of fact, I think it's a question that parents hear very nearly all the time, at least when their kids are young. I came across a very interesting study as I was preparing this message, and it indicated that toddlers ask the question, Why? An average of 73 times a day. And interestingly, it said they ask it more of fathers than they do of mothers. I don't know if that's good or bad. But uh, many of the things that they ask why about are difficult, if not impossible, for us to answer. matter of fact, that same article went on and it listed the top ten why questions that uh, they had determined in whatever survey they had done. For example, why do people die? We can answer that one. Where did I come from? And then you do your best at the answer, and then the follow-up. Why? What is God? Why? How was I made? Why? What does we can't afford it mean? Why? Is Santa Claus real? Why? Why do I have to go to school? And when you die, who will I live with? Why? Why is the sky blue? And we've all heard this one. Why can't I stay up as late as you? When you got little ones tugging at your pant leg and bombarding you with the why question, it can become daunting trying to come up with the answers. But most of the questions are valid, and we do our best to try to answer them. In American culture today, I think we as Christians take for granted the fact that people understand why we do what we do as believers. I, for example, have been steeped in the church, surrounded by Christians since I was 11 years old—at least 11 years old, maybe even prior to that. Uh, and I and others like me who have been raised in that way, we just assume sometimes that uh, you know people understand. We, we we assume that when people take communion, that people understand why we do that, or when we baptize, that people understand why we do that. When we gather together and we sing songs and. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Well, we just assume everybody understands why we do that. Or why some crazy guy like me stands up here and preaches from this ancient book every Lord's Day. Why do we do that? We just take it for granted. Why do we take an offering every Sunday? And Why do we do the things that we do? Well, I can't answer all those questions today, but I do want to answer a couple of them in the time that is allotted. I want to ask, answer the question, why do we observe communion? Just very briefly. And why do we baptize? I primarily want to concentrate on baptism, but the two are related, and so I need to talk about them both. Next Lord's Day, if he allows us to do it, we're going to look at a, at a, at a uh, related topic, which is related to what we're doing next week, our business meeting, our church governance, and all that sort of thing. And so we're going to talk a little bit about things like, why do we have church membership? And why do we govern our church? Why is our church governed the way it is? But that'll be next week. So let's look at these questions today. Why? First of all, why? we serve communion. And the simplest and most obvious answer is the same one that every child has heard from mom and dad at one time or another. It's because I said so. That's why. And it's not because I said so. It's because he said so. In the case of communion, Jesus Christ has given us very clear instructions. He's given us some marching orders for conducting ourselves in the local church. He actually left behind two ordinances. And the word ordinance simply means an authoritative order or decree. He left behind two of those orders or ordinances that are to be regularly followed and practiced in the church. That's why I say these two things go together. Communion and baptism are the two ordinances he left behind. We can go to several places in our New Testament and see where he ordered us concerning communion. Let's turn, for example, to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. And let's jump down to verse 26. Matthew 26, 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from from now on until that day when I drink it new with you. In my father's kingdom. Jesus did that there. We also read about that in Mark chapter 14 and in Luke chapter 22. He gave the orders regarding communion in the upper room in the hours just preceding his betrayal and his arrest and his trial and crucifixion. Flip over one more time to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I want you to notice here that the Apostle Paul explained this thing a little bit more clearly for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in verse 23. And if you've attended this church very long, you know we read this particular passage an awful lot uh, before our communion services. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, For I, this is Paul speaking, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. I want you to notice the phrase, Do this in remembrance of me. This do in remembrance of me. As a matter of fact, you might just want to underline in your Bible that simple little phrase, do this. It is an instruction. It is a command. It is an order from the Lord Jesus Christ to be followed. So we do communion because Jesus told us to. That's the simplest answer to the question. We also do communion because it is a reminder, a specific reminder of what Jesus did for us, what he accomplished for us on the cross. Notice in uh, verse 26 there of that passage in Corinthians, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. You heard Brother Mark mention it this morning, that the bread represents his broken body and the juice represents his shed blood. It's a reminder to us, a memorial to us of what Jesus did on the cross. There's no prescribed frequency in the Bible concerning communion. Churches observe it in different ways. Some churches observe it monthly, some quarterly, some annually, some whenever the mood strikes them. And we try to serve it uh, every single week because that's what we think is the most scriptural. It's a reminder to us in every service that there was a cross. There was a Savior. And his body was broken. And his blood was shed for us. So why do we do communion? We do it for two reasons, at least two reasons. Because our Lord told us to and because it is a reminder of his death and sacrifice for us. But this morning, the big thing is baptism. Why, why do we baptize? And the first answer to that question is going to be the same as the previous one, because he told us to. Let's look at another passage, Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Very familiar passage of Scripture, Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That passage is often referred to as the Great Commission, because it is Christ's instructions, his marching orders to the church. Just as he was departing earth... And heading back to heaven. And here's what he said. He said, I want you to be busy doing this until I return. I want you to be telling others about me. I want you to be making disciples. I want you to be baptizing them and teaching them the word. So communion and baptism are unique in that they are both activities that Jesus specifically told us needed to be done and needed to be done in a continuing fashion. We do all kinds of things in this church that have a lot of biblical support, but they don't fit into that category. We do a lot of things in this church and in in many churches uh, that maybe are supported more by tradition or preference, but those two activities, baptism and communion, don't fall into those categories. They are not optional. We do them because he told us to do them. Actually, an argument can be made. That if uh, you're attending a group that you know a bunch of people that get together, but there's no baptism and there's no communion, it's really not a church. They are defining things that tell us what a church is. A church uh, observes those two ordinances. So why do we baptize? Well, the same reason is why we take communion, because Jesus said to. There's other reasons though. We also baptize because the Bible tells us it is the norm for the new believer. In other words, we have all kinds of examples in Scripture. It's what all new believers did then. And by their example, we, we understand that it's what we should do now. When Peter, Peter preached his first sermon on Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, people were moved, they were convicted by his preaching, and they said, what should we do? What should we do? And listen to what it says. Peter said to them, repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Those Those who received his word were baptized immediately. After they were saved, they were baptized. And this pattern occurs throughout the book of Acts. Let me just give you some examples. In Acts chapter 8, the converts in Samaria were immediately baptized. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 38, the Ethiopian eunuch was immediately baptized. Saul of Tarsus after he met the Lord Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road, was immediately baptized, or at least as soon as he could be. Lydia of Thyatira was immediately baptized, Acts chapter 16. The Philippian jailer in his household was immediately baptized, also Acts 16. The believers in Corinth were immediately baptized, Acts chapter 18. The Ephesian disciples were immediately baptized, Acts chapter 19. And and I'm sure that's not an exhaustive list. The fact is, frankly, there is no such thing in the New Testament as an unbaptized Christian, an unbaptized believer. Here's the normative pattern. The normative pattern was hear the gospel, believe the gospel, get in the water. That was the norm. So one of the reasons that we baptize is because the Bible tells us it's the norm. Another reason that we baptize is because baptism unites us with the body of Christ and identifies us with the person and work of Christ. That's a long point. So let me say it again. Baptism unites us with the body of Christ and identifies us with the person and work of Christ. First Corinthians chapter twelve verse thirteen: For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. Galatians chapter three verse twenty-seven: For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Now, full disclosure, and let's interpret those passages right. Both of those passages refer first and foremost to the baptism of or in the Holy Spirit. And that is a term that refers to a very glorious truth. It refers to the fact that when a person trusts Christ as their Savior, the Holy Spirit incorporates them into his church, into his body, into his family. It happened first on the day of Pentecost. And it happens for each of us individually, every individual Christian, the very moment they are saved. Those who are going to be baptized in water this morning have already been baptized in the Holy Spirit because they have trusted Christ. And the water baptism that they're going to undergo pictures and illustrates that. It illustrates in a very public and open way that they are now united with his body, his church. They're part of the family of God. It illustrates in a very public and open way that they are his. Another reason is because baptism illustrates the work of Christ and its personal effect on us. It illustrates the work of Christ and its personal effect on us. Colossians 2.12, we are buried with him in baptism, in which we are also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. We read it in Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We mentioned earlier that communion pictures the death of Christ. Uh, the, the, The bread and the juice reminds us of his broken body and his shed blood. Baptism serves a similar purpose, and in some ways it goes even further. It is a reminder of his death and his burial and his resurrection, all three. And it is also a wonderful reminder that in our becoming his, we have actually participated in all three of those things. We are laid down in the water, and it's a picture of his death and burial and ours. We are raised back up out of that water, and it's a picture of his resurrection to eternal life and ours. Baptism reminds us that once we've trusted Christ, we are dead, dead to sin, And all of its effects. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 3, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, this is a faithful saying, if we died with him, we shall also die. Live with him. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. When we trusted Christ, we died to sin. And we now live only and ever for God. Romans 6.11, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.15, he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Baptism illustrates all of that. All that. The death, the burial, the resurrection of our Lord. It's personal application to each of us. We died with him. We were buried with him. We are resurrected in him. How do we not say hallelujah to that? It's an astonishing thing. Now, some might say, "Well, Preacher, I get all that. I understand all that. But what I want to know is why we got to have that big tank right there. Why, well, why, why do we baptize the way that we do? I mean, good night. After all, some churches sprinkle, right? Sure seems like it'd be a lot easier. I mean, look at this. All this faulty roll. Monstrous tank. Matter of fact, the tank is leaking. It's leaking down into our basement. We have all kinds of, uh, issues. And why? Why? So we might ask the question is why do we immerse? Because that's what we practice here. This little church, The meets here in Randolph, Ohio, traces its history all the way back to a fellow by the name of William Churchill. He moved to Randolph in 1812. And in 1819, Brother Churchill was instrumental in the formation of a church. It was at that time the Randolph Baptist Church. In 1828, that church became the Disciples Church, and sometime thereafter it became the Randolph Christian Church, a name that it retained until July 2009. When it became the Friendship Bible Church. And by the way, as I was studying this, I was reminded that this year will be the 10th anniversary of Friendship Bible Church. It's kind of exciting. The Disciples of Christ denomination to which this church belonged for so many years, most, most of its history, it had some guiding principles. One of those principles was, quote, Bible names for Bible things and Bible things in Bible ways, end quote. Now, sadly... For the most part, that denomination no longer adheres to that, that truth, and that's why we no longer participate with that denomination. But it was a good principle, wasn't it? Bible names for Bible things and Bible things in Bible ways. The word baptism means immersion. It does not mean anything else. It means immersion. Now, the word baptism was used in the textile industry of someone wanting to dye cloth, and they would take that cloth and they would baptize it, immerse it, dip it completely with it. That's what the word means. One of the founders of, of the disciples of Christ wouldn't even call it baptism. He always called it immersing. If you look at his writings, the word immerse is all through there. You won't find the word baptism, or at least not very much, because he believed Bible names for Bible things and Bible things and Bible We have a missions conference coming up in November of this year. The last time we had a missions conference, my good friend John Cornett spoke at it, and some of you may remember him. I worked with John Cornett for some years as his assistant pastor, and I remember talking with him one day about these very things. I remember talking with him about baptism, and he made mention of the fact that there was a certain person that wanted to be baptized. But he was wondering what I thought of his solution to a problem. See, the problem was this person... Uh, was uh, they had some kind of a physical infirmity that there was just simply no way that they could get in the tank of water and be baptized. I don't remember what the issue was. I just remember that that was their case. And so they had approached Brother Cornette and they had said, uh, listen here, I, I can't get in the tank, but would you sprinkle me instead? As some churches do, might that be an option? And John told me he agonized over that and thought about it for a little bit. And then he went back to the person and he told them, he said, I, I want to tell you the story of, David. He told him the story of David and the temple. You may remember in the Old Testament, and I didn't write down the reference, so you'll have to look it up. But um, David, at the end of his life, wanted to build the temple for the Lord. And uh, David had sinned, and there was blood on David's hands. And God said to David, no, you're not going to do that. Solomon is going to be the one that builds the temple. But I really want to do it, Lord. No, Solomon's going to build the temple. But God said to David, it was good that it was in your heart. It was good that it was in your heart. God said, I see your heart, David, and I know that you wanted to do the right thing. That was good. And Brother Cornett went back to this person and told him, it's good that it's in your heart. God knows that you want to be obedient. In your heart, you're obedient to baptism. But we're not going to do something unscriptural for that or any other reason. We're not going to water down what the Bible teaches about baptism for any reason. And some might might disagree with him. I imagine some people think that was a little harsh, but I don't. We immerse because it's what the Bible says you're supposed to do. We immerse because that's the meaning of the word. Every other method is man-made. Bible things in Bible ways. Bible names for Bible things. Bible things in Bible ways. Well, as I wrap this up, I suppose there's one other question I should deal with, because in just a few moments, I think it might get a little loud in here. So I I think I need to answer the question of why do we rejoice over this? Why is this exciting to us? Why is this a happy time? And so let's talk about that for just a minute. Why do we rejoice? For years, some years, uh, when I lived in Michigan, I attended a very, very, very large Baptist church. They uh, They actually baptized every single Lord's Day. They had a huge children's ministry, a huge bus ministry, and they brought kids in, and every single day, every single Lord's Day, they had kids who were trusting Christ, and not just kids, adults as well, and so they would baptize every day, and here's how they would do it. Their baptistry was up, like on the second floor of this huge auditorium, so it would have been high up on the wall. There was an opening, and there was the baptistry back in there, and as the service would conclude, the invitation would be given, the pastor would pray, everybody would start to leave, and as they were leaving, the curtains would part. And you would see that people were being baptized. I hated that. I didn't like that at all. I mean, it was, here's people just not paying any attention whatsoever to this most important of things that was happening. I mean, when Jesus told his parable of the lost sheep in Luke chapter 15, he concluded it with, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. When he told the parable of the lost coin in that same chapter, he said, Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. In his uh, story of the prodigal son, also in the same chapter, that story ended with the father saying to the elder brother, It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost. And found." His... Some brothers and sisters, get hold of what's going to happen here in just a few moments. Get a hold of what's going to take. We're going to witness something. And we're going to rejoice in the fact that these who were lost have been found. These who were dead are now alive. These who were broken are now whole. These who were lame now walk again. These who were blind can now see. These who were outside the family of God are now adopted into and forever a part of the family of God. How can we not shout? And how can we not rejoice? Father God, thank you so much for the truth of these things. I pray this is helpful. I pray if there's anyone here today who does not, uh, did not know some of the reasons for this, I pray this has been clear. And I pray now as we prepare for baptism that you'll just guide this part of our service to be all that it ought to be. Bless those who are following you in baptism and help us all, Lord, to rejoice with them, I pray. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.